Jackson. And this game is underway with a bang. This is where the lacrosse area gathers to talk Wisconsin sports. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Join in by phone or text at 796-2558. Now, here's Grant Bills. The Brewers played game two of their blue gold inner squad series last night. Did you watch? They're streaming it at Brewers.com. They now got BA and The Rock and Sophia Menard all part of the broadcast. I watched a little bit. I'm, you know, check the vibe. Check out what was going on. Checked the uh, how the pitchers were doing especially. And then I kind of tuned out. Just checked it out. I don't know how to handle these games. Like, should, should we be breaking down these games in detail? Should we be talking about every individual performance? And how how the game works without fans in the stands and artificial crowd noise. I, I I just don't know how to handle these games. We haven't had sports since March, but I'm still not that motivated to talk about a scrimmage. I think I'm going to treat these like preseason games. I'm going to talk about them in detail, but look for takeaways and look for big stories and maybe try to learn something and and, and maybe try to predict and, and get a feeling for what this upcoming 60 game season is going to look like. I'm going to approach them like NFL preseason games. So let's start with the Brewers. This is the Wisco Sports Show. You're listening to WKTY. My name is Grant Bills. We're going to cover a bunch of different things today. We're going to talk Packers coming up in about 10 minutes. Going to talk Badgers with Colton Bartholomew, who now writes for the Wisconsin State Journal. Used to be at the Trib right here in town. We're going to get connected with him. And I even want to talk local high school sports and what that might look like in the world of a pandemic coming up at 645. Uh, Also noteworthy, the uh, Washington Post just released their much-awaited expose about the uh, football team in Washington that now remains nameless and the toxic work environment that was filled with uh, sexual harassment, abuse. It's terrible. I actually think it's worse than the Mavericks story that came out a couple of years ago. It's a mess, and I would very much encourage you to go read it. It becomes very clear. Anytime one of these exposés comes out about a a horrible work environment at at a professional sports team, it becomes very clear why this can happen, right? Working in sports is a very, very uh, coveted position. And these employees know, even if they're dealing with abuse and misconduct, they know that if they leave this job, there's going to be a line of people waiting to take it, right? And that's powerful. So these exposés of toxic work environments and professional sports, it's always so obvious why sexual assault is allowed to live on. And that might be the saddest part of all. I'm not going to break it down in detail, at least today. Uh, It came out about a half hour ago. I would recommend you all go read it. Uh, in detail and and hear some of the stories of of especially these women who worked uh, for Daniel Snyder and Bruce Allen and and a lot of these executives who have now moved on and uh, you bet they're lawyering up absolutely so go read it uh, Washington Post put it out about a half hour ago I want to start with the Brewers I've said many times I think the Brewers can contend this year I, I don't I don't know if the World Series is a realistic shot but they can contend for the postseason they can contend for the division but there are some requirements and these aren't negotiable. If the Brewers are going to contend, these variables must play out. There are some requirements. Mandatory. Christian Yelich needs to play like an MVP. Keston here needs to be an all-star. And by that, I mean he needs to be what Mike Moustakis or Yasmani Grandal was last year. He needs to fill that role. And Josh Hader and Corey Knable need to be shut down closer caliber pitchers. If all of those come to be, the Brewers can contend. They have the depth, right? That's been written about over and over and over again the last couple months. They have a lot of options. They're very deep. But for that depth to matter, their stars must play like stars. Andy Herman, who is with the Packer Report and does stuff with Cheesehead TV, he reminded me of this two weeks ago when we were talking about Kingsley Kiki 
He said, Grant, look, it's really fun to talk about players like Kingsley Kiki and Chandon Sullivan and Raven Green and Jake Kumaro. But ultimately, those aren't the players that decide games and allow teams to contend for championships. That hinges on Aaron Rodgers, Kenny Clark, Devontae Adams, Aaron Jones. It's fun to talk about the Omar Navayas's of the world and the Ryan Healy's and the Eric Sogards of the world. And they're great stories and they're entertaining to watch. But ultimately, if the Brewers want to contend, it's going to come down to their star players. Christian Yelich, Kastin Hira needs to become a bona fide star. And then you talk about Josh Hader and Corey Knable. Those are the Brewers' stars. But the closer we get to the season, I'm, I'm thinking there might be another player we, we need to add into that mix, and that's Corbin Burns. He was untouchable last night. Pitched four innings, retired, uh, re- retired all 12 batters in order, and struck out seven of them. And he had a magnificent spring training, too, before baseball shut down. And then, obviously, spring training has now continued. He's been great. And I know it's just a scrimmage. And I know it's an inner squad. And I know it's just spring training. And I'm not trying to be overly optimistic. I'm not trying to be too much of a fanatic. But Corbin Burns' great performance so far has got me thinking. I, I didn't give up on Corbin Burns after last year. But my I, I'm going to be honest. My excitement was severely tempered. Going into last year, I thought Corbin Burns could be a Brewers ace for a long time. And after last season, I thought he might be a bust. I didn't give up on him, but my... My excitement was very much tempered. I thought maybe it's another Willie Peralta. You know, what we think is a homegrown ace turns out to just be another pitcher who had a great year. I thought maybe, maybe Corbin Burns is that guy. Maybe. Started to lose faith. My excitement went down. I didn't give up, but I was feeling a lot less confident. The statistical differences between Corbin Burns' 2018 season and his 2019 season are unreal. And the sample size is very, very similar because in 2018, he didn't join the club until late in the season. He was a late call-up. And last year, he only made it, what, a month? So the, the sample size is very, very comparable. Now, in 2018, Burns was a relief pitcher. Last year, he was a starter. But their innings are very similar. Very, very similar. In 2018, Corbin Burns pitched 39 innings. 39 innings in 2018. And last year, he pitched 49. So a difference of 10, but still pretty close. He was 7-0 and in 2018. Last year, he was 1-5. and his ERA under three in 2018. Last year, it was almost nine. He gave up in, in 2019 in only 49 innings. Corbin Burns gave up 17 home runs last year compared to only four in 2018. The difference is stark year to year. And I thought uh, 2018 was the outlier. Okay, Corbin Burns isn't very good, right? He wasn't, what you, you, he didn't live up to the hype. He's not as good as we all thought. And the statistical differences between 2018 and 2019 is is. So stark and so evident. But remember, and this is something I had to research and remind myself today. Remember, Corbin Burns was drafted and zipped his way through the minor leagues very, very quickly. Corbin Burns was drafted in 2016, made his debut just two years later in 2018. A very quick ascent to the major league level. In comparison, Josh Hader was drafted in 2012. He didn't make his debut until 2017. And he bounced from organization to organization. He went through a lot. And slogged in the minor leagues for years and years and years. Corbin Burns didn't. He was drafted by the Brewers and was in and out in two years very quickly. Brandon Woodruff, for example, was drafted in 2014. He took until 2017 to debut. But even since 2017 to now, he's moved from the majors to the minors to the bullpen to the starting rotation. He's been used as an opener. He's been used as a reliever. His path is very curved. Lots of stops here and there along the way. Corbin Burns, very straight. Draft, minor leagues, major leagues, boom. 
it's very reasonable to think that Corbin Burns just needs some time and that we expected too much of him last year in 2019. Compare him to Hayter, who took years to get through the minors, or Woodruff, who also took years, but then also, you know, spent time as a starter, a reliever, an opener, up to the majors, down to the minors. Once Corbin Burns came up in 2018, that was it. He didn't get sent back down. He didn't have to go through trials and tests and tribulations the way that some other relievers did. Corbin Burns is going to take some time. I think we need to temper our expectations. Last year was a year of challenge for Corbin Burns. And when you skyrocket through the minors in only two years, you're going to have to work through kinks in the major leagues. Josh Hader didn't have to do that. Brandon Woodruff, by and large, didn't have to do that. Those those pitchers worked out their kinks and, and grew and developed in the minors. Corbin Burns is learning in the major leagues. So when you compare Corbin Burns and his trajectory, his path to the majors, to some other pitchers, good pitchers, Woodruff and, and Hader, good pitchers. They just took a little bit longer. They had to work things out. Corbin Burns, not so much. So it's reasonable to expect that Corbin Burns just needs some time, and we got a little bit ahead of ourselves last year. Now, I understand we have yet to see him bitch in a legitimate baseball game this year. It's all been spring training and exhibition games, but I think Corbin Burns is not a bust. We don't forget about him. We don't give up on him. He just needs to work through some things, and he's doing it in a very public way in the major leagues, unlike some of his teammates who have found success as major league arms. Just just something to think about as Brewers uh, get ready to, well, kick off next Friday. Next Friday. You can check their schedule at WKTYsports.com. When we come back, I want to talk about the Packers, and I want to expand on a conversation we started yesterday regarding Aaron Jones, their star running back, and what his future might look like. We're also going to talk Badgers football with former lacrosse resident. You know him. He covered all of our local teams. Now he's covering the Badgers for the State Journal. That's Colton Bartholomew. All that coming up next here on the Wisco Sports Show. Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. I'm your host. Hope you're doing well. Enjoying your evening. Thanks for being here. You can join the show, 608-796-2558. That's the five-star telecom talking text line. I'd love to have a conversation. We've been talking to little brewers. We're going to get into the Packers, and we're even going to talk about Badgers football and college football as a whole. Coming up in a few minutes, we're going to connect with Colton Bartholomew, who's now doing great work covering the Badgers for the Wisconsin State Journal. A little bit of a PSA before we continue. I, I said this at the beginning of the show, but... About a half hour ago, about 4.45, the Washington Post finally dropped their, I I don't know what to call it. I mean, it's a report, it's an investigation, it's an expose looking at the football team in Washington. And another piece kind of falls into the puzzle. It was odd in the way that Daniel Snyder and that organization pivoted so quickly and announced they would change their name. And financial reasons undoubtedly were a big part of that. But I also think that the organization, ownership most of all, realized what was coming and they've been hiring lawyers this past week and a lot of women uh spoke out as many as 15 uh were cited in this article as having just horrific horrific experiences while working for that organization and it's really disheartening because we went through this not too long ago with the Dallas Mavericks and give credit to Mark Cuban a little bit a little bit I'm not going to praise him but you got to give him a little credit for going on TV and taking his lumps and answering difficult questions and and for what we could all see, being an active part in trying to to solve this problem. But every time we have an, an article, an investigation into sexist behavior in a toxic work environment, 
at a professional sports franchise, it becomes so obvious. You always wonder how people get away with this type of thing and how organizations get away with this type of thing. And then you read the details and you're like, oh, okay. There was one HR person who was also in charge of a million different things. And all of these people are working in professional sports, which is a very desirable job. So these women who are hired out of college, they're working for a professional sports team. It's a dream job. And if they don't work there, if they choose to quit, there's a hundred others lining up to take that job behind them, which is, which is horrendous. But every time there's an, an investigation like this done, it becomes very clear why this thing continues to happen. And we hear about it year after year after year. So if you haven't read that piece, go do it. Um, it's long, it's wordy, but you should definitely read it and, and grapple with the material and, and the issues at stake. So the Washington Post put that out around 445. Uh, Maybe we'll talk about it more in detail tomorrow. For right now, I want to talk about the Green Bay Packers and continue a conversation that we started yesterday. The NFL season is is most certainly up in the air. Rookies are supposed to report in 48 hours, and I I don't know if the NFL has their ducks in a row. I, I think they're just trying to proceed business as usual, but it's not business as usual when you're living in the middle of a pandemic. The NFL season is up in the air, and I don't want to spend time right now, frankly, talking about money and health and safety protocols. I'm just done with that. Instead, we spent a lot of time talking about the upcoming free agency class of 2021, the free agents that are are, are set to be due this spring, and and how the Packers should handle their own free agents, right? Kenny Clark, David Bakhtiari, Corey Lindsley, Kevin King, Jamal Williams, Aaron Jones. Now, Kenny Clark is the best player of that bunch. David Bakhtiari might be the most important position at left tackle. Aaron Jones might be the most dynamic, but Kenny Clark is their best player. He's a defensive lineman. He's not very flashy. That's why I've tried to go out of my way to talk about him on this show. So I don't think he gets talked about enough. Aaron Jones was drafted by the Packers. He led the NFL in touchdowns last year. He was the centerpiece of their offense. There's no reason the Packers shouldn't resign him. All boxes are checked. Yes, 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 yes. This is the guy you want to keep. However, he's a running back. And that really complicates things. As Vikings fans are learning with Dalvin Cook, the Vikings, other than injury, have no reason to not want Dalvin Cook back. He's exactly what they want. He fits their offense. They drafted him in the second round a few years ago, but he's a running back. And that complicates things because this current CBA is is nothing uh, if not advantageous towards, or I guess dis, disadvantageous. It's not good for running backs. It's not good for running backs at all. It takes a while for them to, to finally start making money. And by the time they start making money, teams are, are, are skeptical that their bodies won't break down. And their, and their play won't take a step back. It's tough. It's really, really tough, as Dalvin Cook and Melvin Gordon and Le'Veon Bell are all finding out or have found out in the past. Much of the evidence in the last 10 months or so seemed to indicate that the Packers won't re-sign Aaron Jones. If you look at every breaking news story, every development surrounding running backs, Aaron Jones, and the Packers in the NFL in the last 10 months, every bit of evidence might seem as though it's going to make things difficult for the Packers to re-sign Aaron Jones. Between the Ezekiel Elliott contract, the drafting of A.J. Dillon, the Dalvin Cook holdout, the Derrick Henry deal, everything that has transpired in the last 10 months regarding the Packers, the NFL, and running backs seems to indicate that the Packers might struggle to re-sign Aaron Jones, at least at first glance. Well, I did some deep digging today and some deep thinking. And actually... I think a lot of this evidence indicates that the Packers will re-sign Aaron Jones. And you know what? I think they might do it sooner rather than later. So let's look at some of these stories between the Ezekiel Elliott extension, which happened last September, which was the last huge contract given to a running back that's not Christian McCaffrey. Most people agree that Christian McCaffrey, albeit really, really expensive, is worth that money because of what he does receiving, 
blocking, running. He does everything. Ezekiel Elliott is a pass catcher too, but not at the quantity that Christian McCaffrey is. So let's start with the Ezekiel Elliott deal, which took place 10 months ago. Let's look at the last 10 months. Ezekiel Elliott signed an extension for six years, $90 million. And when you tag that onto his rookie deal, that makes him a member of the Cowboys for the next eight years under this contract, assuming it's uh, if he's not cut or traded or restructured, which seems like a certainty. But as of right now, it's a six-year, $90 million deal, which is 15 per. Packers fans might look at that and say, oh my God, Zeke got so much money. There's no way that the Packers are going to be able to pay Aaron Jones what he's worth. Uh, no, that six year, $90 million deal was stupid and emotional and a deal that only the Dallas Cowboys would have done. And the Dallas Cowboys were trapped because they drafted Ezekiel in the top five. You don't draft someone in the top five only to let them walk in free agency five years later, which is the issue with drafting running back in the top five. And, and I talked about this with, with the Jets, with Jamal Adams and the Giants with, uh, Christian, or not Christian McCaffrey, but Saquon Barkley. Don't draft a player in the top 10 if you don't plan on re-signing them. Because what the Cowboys found out is, well, we got to re-sign Zeke. We got to pay him because we drafted him in the top five. The Packers aren't facing that issue, first and foremost, with Aaron Jones. He was a a later round pick. He was a mid-round pick. But nobody else is interested in Ezekiel Elliott. Nobody else is looking to shell out that money. The Dallas Cowboys were bidding against themselves. That was a stupid deal that only Dallas could have done. Don't use that as any sort of indicator as to what the Packers and Brian Gutekunst might do or might not do with Aaron Jones. There's checkbox number one. Moving forward, Dalvin Cook holding out. When Dalvin Cook announced that he was holding out, a lot of Packers fans said, oh, hopefully Aaron Jones doesn't do the same thing. Yikes, because they were drafted in the same class. And Aaron Jones, while Dalvin Cook is incredible, he's missed a lot of games and therefore his production doesn't really match what Aaron Jones' production has been. And Aaron Jones scored a ton of touchdowns last year. But both really, really accomplished, both in the same draft class and both underpaid. Maybe Aaron Jones holds out. Well, here's my thought on the Dalvin Cook holdout. Dalvin Cook is incredible. He is a combination of speed and size, very similar to to Derrick Henry. And he's done everything the Vikings could have asked of him. Except for missing some games, he has only played 29 of 48 possible games. But Dalvin Cook has an argument that he is if not the best, one of the best running backs in the league. He fits the Vikings offense, and he was drafted by the Vikings. And he has zero leverage. (laughs) Like, think about that. Because he's a running back, he has absolutely zero leverage with the team that drafted him, the team that's building an offense around him, the team that has gotten everything out of him they could have expected, except for some games due to injury. And Dalvin Cook has zero, zero leverage, none. Because if he holds out, he's going to essentially lose a year of service time. So if Dalvin Cook sits out this year, he won't be an unrestricted free agent next spring. He will be restricted, which gives the Vikings a huge amount of power to retain him if they desire. Dalvin Cook has zero leverage. Don't look at the Dalvin Cook holdout and think it's bad news for Aaron Jones and his upcoming extension or lack thereof with the Packers. Disregard it. All right, we check that box. Move on. What about the drafting of A.J. Dillon? This is my favorite nugget in this story, in this saga, the Aaron Jones saga. A lot of people... A lot of Packers fans thought when A.J. Dillon was drafted, oh, they're preparing for life after Aaron Jones. They're drafting Aaron Jones' replacement. No, 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 no. In fact, the opposite. Think about this. If the Packers were planning to re-sign and extend Aaron Jones, meaning he's going to be a Packer not only this year, but let's say three to four years after that. The Derrick Henry deal, which we'll talk about in a sec, is four years. Look at that for the model. 
The Packers would be planning to have Aaron Jones, let's say, for five more years. Wouldn't it be in the best interests of the Green Bay Packers to draft another running back to protect Aaron Jones, to take some of that workload off his shoulders, to extend his career and to keep him healthy and to make life easier for Aaron Jones? Of course, of course. This is the Packers protecting Aaron Jones, not replacing him. The Packers, I think, are planning to extend Aaron Jones for what would amount to another four years. So they want to make sure he's healthy. They want to make sure he doesn't decline and his body doesn't break down. So they went out and got a compliment back for him. They said, here, we want Aaron Jones to be a Packer for a long time. So we want to ensure that he remains healthy and fresh. So we're going to draft him a compliment in A.J. Dillon. Not replacing him, just getting him some help. Not replacing him, getting him some help. Think about that. All right, the A.J. Dillon pick. Check that box. Moving down the list. What about the Derrick Henry extension? He signed his extension right before the deadline with the Titans yesterday. A lot of people got bent out of shape about this deal because you don't pay running backs. You don't pay running backs. You don't pay... Well, you don't pay running backs the way that the Jets paid Le'Veon Bell or the way that the Cowboys paid Ezekiel Elliott or the Rams paying Todd Gurley. But the way that the the Titans came to an agreement with Derrick Henry, it makes a lot of sense. This is a team-friendly deal. You give Derrick Henry about $25 million guaranteed dollars. You avoid the franchise tag drama. And the Titans have an out after two years if they so want one. Thing about Derrick Henry is, though, you can't have him on the field for every down. He's not a great pass-catching block. He is a workhorse. So the Titans hopefully can see him. He didn't play a whole lot the last couple of years. He didn't even take over RB1 responsibilities until really this last season. They're planning to have him around for the next couple of years. But if he if his body breaks down, they have an out after two years. Derrick Henry gets his money. The Titans have his flexibility. Boom. The Packers should most definitely model Aaron Jones' upcoming contract extension, or I think his upcoming contract extension, as I've said. Model after what the Titans just did with Derrick Henry. It's a team-friendly deal that gets the running back his payday, his payday and his guaranteed money that he needs and the team flexibility to get out of that deal if they so need to, which could be the reality. Packers trying to avoid that reality by drafting A.J. Dillon. See, everything's connected. And another thing to keep in mind before we take a break, the running back free agent class this coming spring is huge. Leonard Fournette, Dalvin Cook, Aaron Jones, Joe Mixon, Alvin Kamara, Philip Lindsley, Marlon Mack, Kenyon Drake, Todd Gurley. It's going to be harder for these running backs to cash in on huge deals when there are so many options. Right? Think of it this way. Sports radio right now, it's tough to get a job. Because so many people have been laid off, right? Stations have restructured because of COVID like many businesses. So there's all of these great hosts who are laid off who are looking for jobs at the same time that kids are graduating college and also looking for jobs. There's only so many jobs to go around. And that keeps the price low because the demand is low. The supply is high. That keeps the price down. It's the same thing with quarterbacks this year. Drew Brees was a free agent. Tom Brady, Cam Newton, Dak Prescott, Ryan Tannehill, Philip Rivers, Teddy Bridgewater, Jameis Winston. Taysom Hill, Marcus Mariota, Joe Flacco, Andy Dalton, Case Keenum. The list goes on at Matt Moore, Chase Daniel. Because there were so many free agent quarterbacks this last year, the price was low, the demand was low, and you got a former MVP who played in a Super Bowl, Cam Newton, signing for one year, $1 million with $550,000 guaranteed because the demand was so high. It's going to be very similar with running backs this upcoming spring. The Packers, I think, are preparing to sign Aaron Jones. If you look at the evidence... It makes a lot of sense. It adds up. Maybe not at first glance, but if you think about it deeper, it makes a whole lot of sense. And Aaron Jones is going to be motivated to sign now because who knows what the NFL salary cap is going to look like without fans in the stands. Revenue is going to be down. That salary cap could shrink. And I think that's a reason why Derrick Henry said, you know what, I'll sign this deal right now. Even if it's not the maximum amount of money I can get, it still is probably better than what I'll get 
a year from now. Aaron Jones and the Packers are in a very similar spot. All right, we, we, we're late. We got to take a break. We got to get connected with Colton Bartholomew of the Wisconsin State Journal. We're going to talk college football and Badgers football. He'll join us from Madison coming up next here on the Wisco Sports Show. <laughs> Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. Thanks for hanging out. Hope you're having a good evening. Uh, Once again, I'll I'll put out the PSA one more time. The Washington Post just released, well, getting close to an hour ago now, their expose and their investigation about the Washington football organization, the R-Words, or whatever they're calling themselves these days. Uh, It's it's pretty jarring, so go read it and and, and sit with that information and think about it for a while. We're not going to have time to get to it today, but we'll probably talk about it tomorrow. Uh, assuming nothing crazy comes up. Right now, I want to talk college football, Badger football, with Colton Bartholomew. He used to be here, and now he's doing great work for the Wisconsin State Journal. Colton, so masks are required in Dane County now. Like, is it just leading to chaos? Like, is the city falling apart, or is is it going okay? Yeah, shockingly, everything's fine. Wearing a mask is really not that hard, and uh, <laughs> people seem to be doing okay with it. I know there's uh, some fight going on with some coffee shop over in Middleton, but uh, I think that's getting resolved, so... It's going all right. Yeah, I saw that that news story about um, the coffee shop in Middleton, and I just thought that was odd. And I guess whatever, like it's a private business shop there. Don't like we can make our own choices. It's fine. So, Colton, I, I want to talk about Badger football like this pandemic. It, it's been a couple of months that that I will never forget, specifically one night, March 11th, and everything shut down. Like I, I wasn't with it during 9-11. I was just a little bit older than three. So I don't want to compare anything to 9-11. And obviously that's a tragic day. But like I will never forget where I was and what I was doing the night the NBA shut down. Tom Tom Hanks tested positive, And we all thought Fred Hoiberg had it while coaching Nebraska. Like it was insane. And I was stuck watching news until 1 a.m. Like I was freaked out. The Big Ten canceling conference play wasn't that crazy. But it was a pretty jarring announcement. And I remember what I was doing. And and it was another like pandemic milestone, I guess, that I won't forget. What was your reaction uh, when the Big Ten announced that they were going to conference play only? Maybe it was something you saw coming, but like, w- what was your reaction? Yeah, I was kind of in that, that this is going to be the only way it works camp. Because sure. when, you, when you think about what every school is facing, um, and this is where the big distinction between college football and pro football is coming in right now. You know, these colleges are state-run, the majority, especially in the Big Ten, are state-run organizations that have public money coming in and out. And, you know, to divert tests away from hospitals or to do, you know, X, Y, or Z to make sure that athletes get tested while, you know, cases are spiking around us. I mean, Mm -hmm. so the idea that, you know, we were going to have teams be traveling across the country, um, you know, that were coming from different leagues or had different resources to play the Badgers, to me, just never made sense. I, I always thought that they were going to have to do a Big Ten-only season if they were going to have a season and then see where we're at in the postseason time, you know, December, January, to see if that can happen. But uh, I guess my reaction was, I mean, at least that was taken care of and they can start planning with that in mind, whereas they're not trying to hold out hope of having non-conference games and now they can really focus on the testing protocols that they want to have in place and what each school is need, going, to, going to need to have ready uh, to host games uh, against other Big Ten schools. Yeah, we talked to to Zach Heilprin, and we were talking off the air just a little bit, and I said Zach was on the show on Tuesday, and, and he said as, as much as anything, it was to standardize, right? So all, all mm-hmm. schools that would be playing each other had the same procedures, the same standards for health and safety, the health and safety protocols. We've heard that a million times this summer. I want to know what needs to happen or what would happen for college football as a whole, the NCAA as a whole, to shut it down. Because right now, conferences are making their own decision, but the Big Ten looks 
poised and, and, and probably has a better chance of playing a normal conference schedule than, say, the Pac-12 because California and Arizona are, are not great places right now. And I guess Big 12, if you want to talk Texas, and, and the SEC with schools in Florida and the ACC, Florida is a nightmare. Like, conferences are going to conference only play to consolidate travel and to standardize testing and everything, but, like, what would need to happen for college football as a whole, not just conferences like we saw with the Ivy League, but college football as a whole to shut it down? What would need to happen, do you think, at this point? Um, I think staying on the trajectory we're at right now, to be honest with you, um, <laughs> that, that statement that the NCAA put out today had that pretty jarring graphic where, you know, they kind of showed, here's where we thought we were going to be by July and August uh, with test rates and, you know, things like that uh, around the country. And then here's where we are. And the where we are is about where we started back in March or yeah. uh, April. So, um, you know, it, it just kind of shows, you know, we did things right for a little while and things were getting better. And then we just kind of threw it all out the window and kind of wasted that time. So um, I don't, I think if things don't, you know, pretty quickly here in the, the month of July and early August, um, start dipping back down. I think it's a very real possibility that the NCAA shuts down fall sports as a whole. Um, you know, Mark Emmerich basically said like the way that we're going is not feasible to try to have these schools play each other. And, you know, you mentioned that we heard health and safety as a kind of rhetorical device. You know, everybody just mm-hmm. kind of says it, but when you really start looking at it, it's that if we're at the point, if we don't improve from where we're at right now, it's not going to be safe and it's not going to be nearly healthy at all. You know, as safe and healthy as football can be to begin with, to put kids at risk of transferring this virus between campuses, between teams, uh, you know, in different locations, different states, it's just not feasible if we don't get this thing under control in the next six, seven weeks here. Yeah, the quote from your article today in the State Journal from Emmerich, Mark Emmerich, the, the president of the NCAA, he said, today, sadly, the data points in the wrong direction. If there is to be college sports in the fall, we need to get a much better handle on the pandemic. And I appreciate his candor. Like, there's no need to... There's no need to blow smoke up our rear ends right now. I think we're all pretty familiar with the the seriousness of the situation, or at least I hope so. I, I think we can look objectively and realistically at an upcoming fall sports season. Colton Bartholomew of the State Journal, he's in Madison, um, joining us on the Five Star Telecom talking text line. Do you think, well, here's here's the million-dollar question. I, I don't think, from everything I've read, that spring football for, for college football is is realistic. Um, Joel Klatt of Fox Sports, you, you talked about football as a violent sport already. Joel Klatt said last week on Fox Sports, I believe, that he, he thinks that it would be more dangerous to play football in the spring and to, and to subject players to that much contact in, in that short of a window. It would be more dangerous to do that than to actually play through the pandemic. I, I don't know if that's true. There are obviously two different types of dangers. W- what do you think about the possibility of spring football? Could that actually be done? You know, it could be done, but I'm actually with Clad on that one where it's just I don't think it's feasible because you already know that you've got about a third of your college population, maybe 25 percent, let's say a quarter, mm-hmm. a quarter of your college population that's going into the spring, assuming the NFL schedule stays the same. They're just not going to play a spring college season. They're just going to do what they're planning on doing, get ready for the draft, get ready for the pros. So then each college is going to be looking at, OK, so we just lost, let's say, 15 to 20 guys. Um, you know, a few of them at least that we were really counting on to be key contributors. And then you, like you mentioned, you're asking them to play, uh, asking these players to play two seasons in one calendar year, and you really would be giving them three months off uh, of the summer, uh, maybe a little bit later on in the spring semester, but maybe three to four months off total as opposed to the eight that they're accustomed to. I just don't see it. 
to me, I think the solution is, and I know this is crazy and it's not what I want as, yeah. you know, because it's tied to my job, but I think you just got to cancel the 2020 season and then in the spring let football teams have extended spring practices. Maybe if the virus is under control, you bring in some conference teams to do joint practices or scrimmages or something like that in a controlled environment, you know, quick whistle, all the type of stuff you would do in a joint practice or a mm-hmm. scrimmage that you see at high school level right now. Um, do those things to keep the players safe, but get some more meaningful reps that this these multiple classes of guys missed out on here in this spring. Um, to think about a 2020 calendar year with really no college football between spring practices and then fall games not happening at all is pretty nuts. But I just think that there's really no – that's the safest option to me. I You can't put two seasons in one calendar year, and I don't think you can play right now. So I think the safest option would be to just cancel the season altogether. Even though, you know, personally, I don't want it, but no. you got to do what's best for the players. Well, I don't want it either. I mean, I, at some point, I need yeah. something to talk about. I've been doing a show yeah, since exactly. March. Yeah, exactly. With no sports. And, like, it's a fun challenge at times. Like, I've enjoyed it. There's shows that I enjoy more than others because sometimes I feel like I'm I'm giving birth having to come up with content for this show. But some days are easier than others. But, like, I, I, at some point, yeah, I would love games to talk about uh, again. Colton, last question. Um, I, I really like having insiders on to talk about the Badgers more so than any other sport because I think a casual sports fan can watch the Brewers and the Packers and kind of glean the same thing as as somebody in Green Bay or in Milwaukee. It's a little bit different when you involve an athletic department, right? And and now you're talking about recruiting. There's just a lot more at play in college sports. Like, I, I want to ask you, so many people who have spoke out about the return of sports have been politicians and media members. I, I'm interested to see what college football people have to say. Like, the people that you know in the program or you've reported on in the program, football people, the people who know what it takes to have a season and to recruit and to do all the necessary things. What do they say about the prospect of a season this fall or the possible cancellation, like you said? Yeah, every every player or guy that's just you know, getting done with football right now is in that same mindset where it's like if they were allowed to play or if it was like seemingly safe to play when you look at the statistics, they'd be out there in a heartbeat. Like It's not a question of want to or – you know, guys desire, like nobody at the college level wants to skip a season because a, their time is so short. And a lot of these guys, you know, I think it's 98% aren't going to make the pros or this is going to be the last time playing football. Of course, they don't want to give up that time. But I think when you talk to players and then when you talk to coaches or guys around the program right now, it's just, they, they see the same news reports we see. They see the same statistics and, you know, they're, they're, going over every contingency plan, every chance to make it safe and make travel safe and everything that they're so used to doing. They're trying to do everything they can to make that COVID safe. It's just inherently it's not going to be. Mm -hmm. And it's really tough to kind of justify in your mind, like, why are we doing this? Because I think every football coach will talk about, like, finding a guy's why. Like, we need to expand that to why are we going to try to play for college football? Like, yes, it's important to local economies. Yes, it's important to universities. It's important to the players and the coaches. But when we really strip all the layers off here, it's about money. And in a time like this, Mm -hmm. like these schools, I understand, need the money. They need this TV money to come in. But in a time like this, it's just really tough to say we're going to ignore all the risks health-wise that we would put players through uh, traveling and playing in this pandemic because we need the money. It's just one of those, I think, mental blocks that a lot of people are starting to come to grips with. It's just not going to work out. 
Yeah, well, Colton, I, I hope we're talking about Badger football this fall, and I hope I can have you back on to talk about real... That's what I'm telling every guest, and maybe it's cliche and my listeners are sick of it, but every time I say goodbye to a guest now, it's like, hey, well, love to have you back, and hopefully we can talk about actual games. Like, that's been kind of oh, my go-to. Me. I but... would much rather talk to you about 3-4 defenses or, you know, Michigan's offense than uh, a virus, because I yeah. have no knowledge of a virus, but I know a little bit about football. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, and, and I, I think some people who don't know anything about either are the loudest voices in the room, which is a little bit frustrating. And we're going to talk about schools opening back up and prep sports. So talk about people uh, really just blow the aiding about things they have no context or no knowledge about. But I do want to have you back, Colton. I hope it's about actual games. Hey, good luck in Madison, because I know things are going to fall apart now that people are being forced to wear masks. So good, yeah. good luck with that. And, and Yeah, exactly. We'll talk soon, Colton. Thanks again, man. Thanks, Ryan. Yep, have a good one. That's Colton Bartholomew. Of the Wisconsin State Journal, who did such a good job. Colton was one of my biggest resources for for figuring out things in the local sports scene uh, when he was at the Trib and and now doing great work down there. And now that Colton's gone, you can get all your news directly from us at WIZMnews.com and at WKTY, WKTY, excuse me, sports.com. When we come back, I want to talk about local sports. I want to talk about high school sports, fall sports, and an idea, a proposition uh, to possibly move fall sports to the spring and spring sports to the summer and on and on and on we go. We're skirting the problem but not solving it. We'll wrap up the Wisco Sports Show coming up next. Yeah, the president has said um, unmistakably that he wants schools to open, and I was just in the Oval talking to him about that, and when he says open, he means open and full, kids being able to attend each and every day at their school. Uh, the science should not stand in the way of this, uh, and as Dr. Scott Atlas said, I thought this was a good quote, of course we can do it. Everyone else in the Western world, our peer nations are doing it. We are the outlier here. Uh, the science is very clear on this. Wisco Sports Show, final segment here on WKTY. I want to talk about local sports, what they might look like, and maybe some options that they have. Of course, you can't talk about high school sports without the reopening of high schools themselves. That was the press secretary today at the White House explaining, we got to have schools open, got to have schools open. Yeah, everyone, literally everyone agrees. I, I don't I don't know why that narrative is being pushed so hard. We got to open schools, got to open schools. Yeah, we all agree. But our government is a big part of why we can't reopen schools, which is why it's a little frustrating. It'd be like Brian Gudikin's yelling at fans that we need a better running game. It's like, yeah, dude, we know you're the general manager, right? It's like in 2015, yeah, the Packers' defense really blows. What if Ted Thompson would have came out and been like, man, our defense really bites this year, guys, huh? We got to do something about that. Yeah, Ted, it's your job. We all agree with you. We got to get schools open. I don't know how that's going to look. I don't know how that's going to work. Um, I-, I thought it was interesting in that answer alone, in that 27 seconds I played you, uh, the White House press secretary both dismissed and cited science, which I didn't know you could do both. But I guess rules are out the window now in a pandemic. Seems like a bad time to throw away science. But we're not here to talk about politics. I want to talk about Travis Wilson's proposal and reported proposal that's being kicked around by a group of schools in the southwest part of the state. He didn't name them, so I guess the schools are remaining anonymous for now. But this proposal would move fall sports to spring and spring sports to summer. Now, high schools might have flexibility to do this, whereas colleges not so much, right? Colleges have to deal with the NFL draft, and it's a it's a lot bigger commitment. Like, playing football at the University of Madison is a lot different than playing at Lacrosse Central, right? There's spring football, there's training camp, there's, I mean, you, you live in Madison, whereas students go f- home to school in the case of high schools. 
High schools have a lot more flexibility on the way they might be able to organize these things, whereas colleges just might have to punt altogether. So it is an interesting proposal, and I'm willing to kick the idea around, but I think it has some issues, and I think all of these schools are well aware of these issues. I'm not here to poo-poo this idea, just realistically take a look at it. So fall sports to spring and spring sports to next summer. First of all, you're going to have some issues with kids who have summer jobs, right? What are you going to have kids for the first two months of summer just not work in favor of doing sports? That's one potential issue, although that one it could be worked out, right? Like it's not an it's not an obstacle that's immovable, but it's something you'd have to work through. You'd also have to work through kids graduating, right? What if, say, for example, a football player who's going to play at um, Iowa or Minnesota? Well, those sports report in mid-June. That's when kids typically head to in Division One, at least. So you're going to have a kid hang around to play a spring sport when he's supposed to go join his team in college if he's graduating or maybe somebody's graduating and moving or they get a job and they move. There's a, there's a million different possibilities here. And like I said, no solution is going to be perfect. I think this could work. It could. I have some huge concerns, though. This is my number one concern. We're treating January 1st, which is the unofficial, official kind of start of winter sports. I guess winter sports start in uh, December, but let's use January 1st. It's a nice round number. We're treating January 1st like it's a fresh start, like it's a foregone conclusion that on January 1st, everything will be back to normal. Didn't we think the same thing about this summer? In March, we're like, ah, we'll just, all right, the NBA's up against it, but once we get to baseball season, we'll be good, right? They'll take two weeks to get things figured out and they'll be going. Or when we get to football season, everything will be back to normal. We keep creating these hypothetical deadlines, these cutoffs where the virus is going to go away. It hasn't worked up until this point. Why are we going to continue to do it? Why are we going to treat January 1st and the start of winter sports as this official, unofficial cutoff where the virus is supposed to disappear? Right? Moving fall sports to the spring might work, but what does that do for winter sports? Are we going to put winter sports next fall and on and on and on we go? My number one concern and what frustrates me so greatly with this is the CDC announced two days ago that this upcoming winter is going to be one of the most difficult times in history. You combine the flu and COVID, which is still very much a problem. It's actually never been worse in our country. And it's interesting that the White House press secretary wants to reference what other developed nations are doing with their schools. Well, yeah, other developed nations have been able to get over this virus, unlike us. So it's a pretty it's a pretty stupid example. I'm not trying to rip on the White House press secretary here, but to say that we need to go back to school and we need to get sports going, every other developed nation has done it. Well, yeah, every other developed nation has been able to get rid of this virus. We have done the exact opposite. We're just, we're just welcoming it in here. CDC announced two days ago that this winter is going to be one of the most difficult times in history. Why are we going to just pretend as though school period can happen this winter and late fall, let alone winter sports, and we're just going to move fall sports to the spring and spring sports to the summer? I and and also the CDC said that earlier this spring. It's like, hey, this next month, these next couple of weeks are going to be brutal. Like how many how many stretches are we going to have to go through here? What we're ultimately doing is we're ignoring the problem and we're adjusting to the problem and we're working around the problem rather than actually solving the problem. Right? The more we reschedule things and reposition sports and kick them on down the line instead of actually just for lack of a better term putting the boxing gloves on and handling this pandemic, the longer this is going to go on and the more we're going to lose, the more it's going to hurt our economy, the more people are going to die, the more sports we're going to miss out on, right? At some point, we need to bite the bullet. And I don't know if that's going to be this fall. It wasn't this summer. That's for sure. I don't know if it's going to be the winter. At some point, we need to stop trying to adjust to the problem 
and say, well, we just need to live, you know, learn to live with the pandemic. We're the only country in, in, in the world that has accepted this pandemic as a reality and has accepted that this is the way things are going to be unless we get a vaccine. We need to break that mindset and address the problem and fix the problem at its source rather than trying to adjust and, and, and scoot around it constantly, which is what this proposal would essentially be doing, moving fall sports to the spring and spring to the summer. I don't know. We'll talk about it more tomorrow. I want to talk more about the Brewers and the scary, just heartbreaking news that came out about that football team in Washington today. Do that report in the Washington Post. One more show before we say goodbye to the weekend. Same time, same place tomorrow on the Wisco Sports Show. Talk to you then.